Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. Today, we are concluding our season where we've been talking about the book of Acts and the works of Jesus through his church and in his kingdom. I'm Vanessa Hawkins, and joining Amber Barrett and me in conversation today are Martha Killian and Leslie Bogdanow. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Tell me a little about yourselves and how the two of you know each other. Well, Martha and I met years ago in Wednesday morning Bible study. We were in the same small group and it was a really great small group. We stayed together for lots of years, I think. And so Martha became really dear to me. We, I remember specifically in that group that we were passing around my newborn baby Brewer, who's now 14. Mm, wow. And Lexi was in the nursery, a little toddler. And Carter wasn't in existence yet. (laughs) So Martha became really dear to me in those years when I was a young mom. That was a sweet group of women. It really was. I think they just ignored that we kept staying together. You know, they, they, didn't, they didn't break us up. So that was sweet. You didn't bribe them, no. Martha? You no, didn't. no, no, never. no bribing. <laughs> That's precious. Well, ladies, as is our custom, we start with our first things first question. And so if you would give a brief description of yourself as you answer our question, which is, what was the first specific dance or style of dance you remember learning? Martha, let's start with you. Well, I remember learning the Virginia Reel. I think it was second grade. (laughs) And it must have been part of a social studies unit or something like that. But it was such fun because you didn't get to do that every day. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing that I really have a clear memory of. I could have said the minuet from the 1700s, but I decided not. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that. I'm Leslie Bogdanow. I am the elementary coordinator for the children's ministry here at First Press. I'm married to Josh, uh, Sergeant Josh Bogdanow at the mm-hmm. Columbia County Sheriff's Office. Um, and we have three children, which I just mentioned, Lexi, Brewer, and Carter. Two teenagers and a 10-year-old and a little miniature dachshund named Remy. And uh, I love, love teaching the Bible here at First Press, mm-hmm. especially to the women and sometimes to the children. Um, That's a lot of fun for me. So the first dance I remember learning was uh, when I was little, probably four or five years old, my mom put us, my big sister and I, in ballet. And I remember this little lavender tutu that I had to wear and we danced to that song lavender blue dilly dilly do you know (laughs) (laughs) I remember that and then there later was a phase of country line dancing that was super cool when I was in junior high I had a birthday party where we line danced Um, any given party from elementary school through college you would find me on the dance floor in the middle of it I know you're shocked and Josh and I yeah Josh and I even used to swing dance in college um like he could flip me and stuff but don't ask me to do that today I don't think we can do that anymore but it's all thanks to the Roanoke Alabama dance company <laughs> and the little purple tutu that's right Oh, my goodness. Okay, so my first memories of dancing is is kindergarten. And I can remember coming home and telling my parents how I had taught my kindergarten teacher how to do the rock. 
to I think it's uh to freak out by La Chic. I think that's right. Uh, and so out. you know, and, and I just remember thinking, I don't even know how this woman was surviving in this classroom till I got here. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what whatever was she doing? I mean, I had to teach her how. These are basics, mom and dad. I mean. You know, I had to teach her how to do the rock. And so somebody had to do it. So, yeah, so and you just took that on yourself. It just makes me laugh that you call it the rock. Because when I think the rock, like, they don't really move. What does a rock do? Right. I mean, it's just kind of this swinging motion oh, back and okay. forth with your arms and your hips. And, 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 you know, and she was this African-American lady. She was just my favorite person in the world. And she was very hippie, you know, and not hippie like a hippie. But she, you know, she had, uh, she had hips, you know. <laughs> and uh, But I remember teaching her how to move those hips to do that dance. So there she you have it. She is forever in your debt. She, I, I don't know how she's made it all I these know. years without me. I should check up on her. <laughs> <laughs> all right, when y'all are saying all these stories, little little snippets are coming back to my mind. Like, oh yeah, I learned the Virginia Reel in music class. I forgot. Mm. Oh yeah, I learned, I didn't learn the rock, but mm. I did learn how to shake my hips on the cheerleading squad. There so you <laughs> there you go. And But the one I was trying to think of was swing. And what's so funny to me about that, because I learned it in Colorado and Boulder, Colorado had all these fun little joints that you could go to and learn how to swing dance. And what's funny is that when I was trying to think about what it was called, all that came to my mind was shag. And I still, I mean, if you were to ask me what the difference between the two is, I have no idea. I don't remember the steps of in either one of them. So that shows how well I learned it. Although I will say that I taught some ladies at Country Line Dance today, actually, called the Power <laughs> Jam. Yes, and it, it was really pretty fascinating. So, Leslie, you'll you'll have to check that out later. Yes. Fitness instructor, Fitness power instructor jam. doing the Power Jam. And That's we had to Thomas Rhett's, um, uh. praise the Lord. It's really this oh, fun yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of like hip. You, you can trick Song. me into exercising that way okay. to dance. All right. I like you it. teach me to dance, and I'll make you do it, and then we'll call that. That's cool. We'll call that a deal. Oh, well, dancing is a good time, and it expresses a lot of fun things, and we have a good time remembering dances we've done in the past, learning new dances as well, and today we're not remembering just dances we've done. We're remembering things we have learned and specifically things we've learned mm-hmm. in the book of Acts uh, over this 12-week study. Oh, wow. It's been a while. Yeah. So uh, it's always good to go back and to refresh. And I flipped to the beginning of the study that we've been using by Mary Beth McGreevy and George Robertson just to refresh myself as to how they started it out. And Mary Beth in the intro had just this great reminder that Luke and Acts are one book, mm-hmm. which we knew, I mm-hmm. think. And that Luke wrote those, he's the author of both, and he was writing them to be uh, utilized together, that they cover 66 years of history. Mm. And this I did not remember. 33 of those years are in Luke, and 33 of them are in Acts, which is a really cool symmetry. Mm-hmm. And But there's not just symmetry in the numbers. There's symmetry in the purpose. You both The purpose of both books is to give... Luke was wanting to give his readers a reliable accounting of Jesus Christ, what he said and what he did. At the beginning of Acts, Luke says that in his first book, which we now call the Gospel of Luke, Luke wrote about all Jesus began to do and teach until the point he was taken up into heaven. So the obvious assumption right at the beginning of Acts is that this book is a continuation of that same account all that Jesus continues to do and teach now that he has ascended into heaven. And of course, the question is, how can that be? How can Jesus continue to speak and act on earth when he is in heaven? 
And the answer is the Holy Spirit, the spirit that Jesus promised his disciples would descend on them in power once Jesus himself had ascended. Now, the Westminster Shorter Catechism asked the question, how many persons are in the one God? And we learned this through music here at First Pres. It's three, three, three persons are in the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three, three, three are one God, the same in substance and equal in power and glory. 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 <laughs> All right. So that's kind of funny, but it's stuck in my mind. Thank you, Allie Westner, who put that together, worked at Children's Ministry at the time. But the idea that they're three and yet they're one, equal in substance, same in power, same in glory. Therefore... The focus of Acts has been on the continuing work of Jesus through the Spirit, Mm -hmm. building his church and advancing his kingdom. So today, by means of review, we are each going to talk about specifics from Acts that have changed our understanding of Jesus' work in and through the church, and that have encouraged us to join him in that work in new ways. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the ways that we learned in Acts about how Jesus builds and maintains his church you know, how, what did you see? How have you, what have you learned in Acts that has informed the way that you view uh, the building and sustaining of your own local church, FPC, and or the church universal? Yes. Uh, well, I learned a lot through Acts about how Jesus is building his church. And unfortunately, Jesus builds his church through persecution mm. in Acts, execution mm. and dispersion. Um, My Gospel Transformation Bible note says this, what is intended to crush the movement turns into fuel for the gospel's advance. Mm. So Stephen's murdered. Mm -hmm. uh, The disciples are dispersed. the, The believers are spread out. You know, even today, I've seen God use suffering to grow his church. It's not what we would choose, of course. I've seen some people who weren't connected to the body, just flounder and fall away. But I've seen some people in deep, dark places, in lots of trouble, but then they shine the light on those dark places and tell the truth about their struggle. And uh, when they're connected to the body and they ask the body to enter in, I have seen people be miraculously healed from things and transformed. Um, I've seen God do things that I thought were impossible. And I think studying Acts reminded me again how important it is for me to be connected to the body, Mm -hmm. that we need each other. I need you ladies. In Acts 2, 42 through 47, the first church, uh, they followed a perfect worship format. And the apostles' teaching was obviously foundational, but the other three elements were equally important. Fellowship, breaking of bread, and praying. And it's encouraging that our church, though not perfect, follows those principles, hearing the word and worship being the heart. I remember George Robertson, when we were getting ready to do a lot of renovation of the sanctuary and then add this huge new building, George said, no, we would renovate the sanctuary first because worship was the heart of our church and the heart of any church, Mm -hmm. and then add all the Sunday school rooms and the common spaces that were needed. Another thing that I think our church does well that John Franks has commented on is congregational singing. Mm -hmm. People that have come to funerals here or other things that they've come to, they talk about our congregational singing. And as John Franks says, 
everyone sings, even middle school boys. <laughs> if you that. pinch them. Yeah. It's my job now uh, as a member of this church is, of course, to attend corporate worship and to seek out ways to fellowship with other believers and pray, pray for the life of our church and that will continue to be sustained by the Holy Spirit as we have for 214 years. Mm-hmm. Well, what I love about what you're saying, Martha, is it's not just worship we've come up with or a building that we've come up with no. or a certain format that we've come up with, but that the Lord gives us, as we see in Acts, prescriptions for means of his grace by which to participate and to worship him. And so we see those in different churches, actualize those in different ways. Uh, but I think it's sweet that it's the Lord that calls us to him and tells us how to come. And then in our coming to him, rewards and strengthens us. Yeah, it, I think throughout the book of Acts, you can't miss the fact that it really is the Lord who builds his church. And it's by his spirit in Acts. Um, it's the, the spirit. It, well, it's the acts of the spirit of Jesus Christ that we see throughout the book of Acts. And so just evidence by all of the, the details in which we see him working, I mean, and, and calling people and sending people in uh, out for service and uh, giving them an, uh, a powerful message. Um, and then even just starting with Acts 1 and 8, kind of a purpose statement, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. And that message, there's a, it's a consistent message throughout the book of Acts, um, the receiving power for witness. And what are they witnessing? The resurrection. Mm-hmm. They're witnessing to the resurrection. And we see that in 122 when they are um, choosing uh, a disciple to replace Judas. It's like, let's find another man who can uh, be a witness to the resurrection. And then throughout, even um, in um, the end of the chapter, the end, cha- the end chapters of the book, um, you hear Paul talking about as he's facing all of the persecution and as, as he's talking to Felix and as he's talking to uh, Agabus, not Agabus, um, who's the king? Agrippa? Agrippa. 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 As he's talking to all these people, he's like, I'm, I'm in this trouble because of what? The resurrection. Mm-hmm. And so the resurrection is the message throughout. And so th- with the subtext that it's going to all people. And so you can't miss that. If In Acts, you see the spirit of Jesus Christ being poured out to, to, for witness to the people, but also it's to all people and you can't miss Mm -hmm, that. mm -hmm. And so just throughout Acts, seeing the spirit at work and his provision in the life of the church. So, um, talk to me a bit, ladies, about what did you learn in Acts about Jesus command and provision for the church to be his body of believers and, and this commitment to unity and love. Again, in Acts 1, 8, Jesus told the apostles that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit had come, and they would be his witnesses, both in Jerusalem and finally the whole world. In 2.37, the preaching of Peter leads to the adding of thousands of souls to the church who were devoting themselves to being together, sharing, and especially, it says, with gladness and sincerity of hearts. Mm -hmm. The last sentence is the most important. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day. Mm -hmm. Not a program, not something that we dream up, but the Lord himself adds. I don't know that it's changed uh, responding to this question, the way I interact with the church. But it did remind me how important it is for other believers to be together, 
I think that was fleshed out dramatically for all of us with the pandemic mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. we felt when we came back, many of us in tears, mm-hmm. to come in the sanctuary and mm-hmm. see the same people sitting in the same pews where they were supposed to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and se- several years ago, I know a new member said uh, one afternoon, crossing Telfair Street from the parking lot and coming through the gate, he said, I feel like when I step onto the sidewalk through this gate that I'm on holy ground. And I just pray that we will continue to be grateful for being on holy ground and that that will guide us into the next hundred years. I love that. I love that memory, too, of that first time that we were back together uh, in the sanctuary. Love that, Martha. Um, I this this brings up to me um, Acts 15 um, in Acts 15, 19 and 20. Paul is stoned in Lystra, stoned Mm -hmm. and dragged from the city. And somehow, by God's grace, he survives. Mm -hmm. And then what does he do? He gets up and he goes back into the city. Back into the city that just tried to kill him. Um, Vanessa, you taught this lesson. I think it was lesson 15. And you asked us a question in your teaching time. And your question was something like, when life beats you down, who is surrounding you? Who's encouraging you? Who's bandaging you? And you said that we should fight for this kind of community. And in this busy season of my life, I'm trying to apply that. And one way I do that is with my closest accountability partner, Josh Bogdanow. <laughs> Sergeant, yeah. Yes. I um so Josh works shift work and I work part time here at the church and I can kind of make my own schedule. So one thing I try to do for unity in our marriage for reconnection is we try to set aside one day every week that we are off at the same time. And so we try to be off together once a week and that's really fun and we can hang out and, um, and reconnect and build unity. And he is really good about telling me the truth. You know, he'll, when we have those times, if he hears me say something or, or needs to encourage me to do something different, or he's really good about that. So he's my closest accountability partner. Um, and then also I was thinking about this um, unity in the church. I've, I've got to and need to do better about making time with those people that I can confess to, those people who are in my life who um, tell me the truth. And um, so I'm growing in this. I'm not great at this, but I really need to be proactive in building relationships with people and being honest with them about struggles or sadnesses or joys. Um, And then also praying for my friends. Mm -hmm. I think when I pray for my friends, it builds our unity because it knits our hearts together somehow. And I'm watching God do amazing things through those prayers. And I'm asking them to pray for me in certain things too. And we're just seeing God do wonderful things. So I was thinking, Vanessa, about fighting for community. If if you're listening today and you don't have that kind of community where you can be real and honest and vulnerable and have someone to speak truth and love to you, then fight for that community. Sometimes I have to be the initiator of a friendship. Sometimes I have to be the responder and say, yes, you know what? You want to hang? Let's, let me make some time in my schedule. But fight for that community. That was such an encouragement to me 
and I, I really appreciated that, Vanessa. Yeah, thank you. That's a, that's a reminder for um, my heart. Usually it's those messages that are the most passionate, that it's something you're trying to convince your heart of mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and just I think a lot of the need for community is um, our lack of making ourselves you know, uh, vulnerable uh, and allowing ourselves to be seen. Sometimes we're more willing to listen um, than we are to be seen. And so that's that's the, the harder part of building community, I think. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, being mm-hmm. willing to fight for that and uh, move towards people, it's it can be tough. Mm-hmm. It can be tough because it's hard to be vulnerable, like you're saying. Yeah. It's, it can be tough because it's hard to give your time. All of that, um, yeah. For sure, all of those things. And I, when I was thinking about this, I thought it's tough because sometimes it's just tough. <laughs> and sometimes... I could think that unity is easy. I'm a relational person. I want to get to know you. I actually want you to get to know me. Mm-hmm. And I think in going through some of the hard things that our whole, um, all of us have gone through, our church, our city, our country, expand, expand, expand. There's a lot of hard things going on, and it pulls out a lot of hard things in all of us, and we become uh we want to fight (laughs) we don't just want to fight the good fight we want to fight Mm -hmm. and it's hard when somebody wants to fight you and you feel like you want to fight somebody else it's tiring Mm -hmm. it's feels unsafe it um calls into question what is christian unity and can it be found here in the midst of disagreements and so i think for me i saw in acts 15 as well that need for gospel disagreement that comes up when the gospel itself is challenged, a good disagreement. There's conversation, there's prayer, there's searching the scriptures, there's listening, there's talking, and it ends in gospel agreement. Yes. But there are times when it's just not that clear cut. Right. When you want to apply the gospel to something that's a lot more gray and you just can't find that place where everybody agrees and that hurts it's hard you lose friends friendships changes change people leave and so what was encouraging to me also in acts 15 later is that paul and barnabas get into what is called a sharp dispute and paul and barnabas have a very special relationship you know paul used to be saul he was the persecutor of the church and he was had this miraculous conversion and all the believers around understandably think we're not so sure about Saul but Barnabas seeks him out takes him under his wing disciples him brings him along um, goes to bat for him takes him to Jerusalem stands up for him just really is 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 Paul's guy and they travel on these missionary journeys together you can imagine how deep their connection is and yet here in Acts 15 they want to go back and visit towns that they've come along that they've gone to in their first missionary journey and Barnabas wants to take a man called Mark, who will become the author of the gospel of Mark. Paul does not want to take him because Mark has deserted them on their prior missionary journey. Paul is so sure they should not take him. Barnabas is so sure they should take him that they split. Mm -hmm. They divide. Sharp dispute, division. Barnabas goes one way. Paul goes another. And that's about what it says. And you can read that and think, you could just breeze over that. Until you recognize, like, that's relational division. They have been so close and done all these things together, and now they split. That's sad. And so part of me sees that and is like, oh, I hate that when that happens. And you don't really get 
a conclusion or a restoration in Acts. But it's a sweet thing that if you read Philemon, verse 23, this is written after the account of Acts. Paul is writing to a man named Philemon, and he's mentioning everybody who sends him greetings. And one of the persons who sends Philemon greeting is Mark. And Paul refers to him as my partner, my brother in the ministry. So we don't necessarily know, or at least I don't, all that went on in that restoration. But it was a sweet reminder to me that, you know what, sometimes in our quest for unity, it takes time. It's messy. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel good. There's moments of feeling like there's division. But the Lord really is committed to restoration. And as we belong to him, he brings it about, even sometimes when it takes a while. So that was encouraging to me. Um, I also want to know, what did y'all learn in Acts about, so you, you have the unity within the body. We see that. But then we also see, like you mentioned, Vanessa, that we're witnessing to the resurrection we're talking about that, protecting that with one another, and yet we're commanded to take that outside of ourselves, outside of our cultures, and expand it into all of the world. What did y'all learn about the ways that Jesus really values that and calls his children to expand out of their normal cultures into taking that gospel into their neighborhoods, their workplace, their cities, around the world, etc.? You know, Amber, it made me think of Acts chapter 8, when Philip, uh, the Spirit says go to Philip. And so verse 30 says, Philip ran, he ran to obey the Spirit, ran to the Ethiopian eunuch. And, and this guy was reading God's word. That's just an amazing story. I love that story anyway. That true story. This guy's reading Isaiah, and Philip gets to tell him what it means that it's Jesus is such an exciting story, but they are two different guys, two different cultures, two from two different places, maybe even had two different skin colors. Um, and then I thought about Acts 17. That's one of my favorites. Um, Paul is in Athens and he is teaching these Athenians who are idol worshipers and he doesn't, um, condemn them he affirms them I see that in very in, you are very religious is what mm. he tells them and so he's just he's just polite just politely <laughs> yes really polite. yes so kind and he and that that must endear him yeah. to them but he gets this great opportunity to share the gospel in front of this whole group of philosophers but um such a great example I think sometimes um our differences with other people might intimidate us. I think that Satan wants us to be intimidated. He wants us to think you can't relate to her. Um, you don't, you didn't grow up like her. You, you're not from the same place as her. And he wants us to think that so that we don't form a friendship and we don't share the good news of Jesus. But in that study of chapter 17, I, Loved what George talked about. He talked about that every every need is a, a gospel opportunity, that the gospel meets every need. So when we listen to a friend or someone we don't know well, whoever, we, whoever God puts in our way, if we listen to them, we might find that point where they're suppressing the truth. George and Mary Beth call it the point of suppression. Mm -hmm. And there we can enter in and say, you know what? Jesus meets that need, and he's the only one who does. 
And um, so it just made me think that, you know, the gospel never changes. It's the same. But Paul's presentation of the gospel is different in the synagogue. It's different in the marketplace. It's different with the Areopagus. It's, it's different because he's learning the people and he's, he's appealing to them in a way that they can understand. And I think that's so encouraging to me to not let differences scare me, um, but to enter in. We have, we all have needs. We all have hurts. We all have things in common. So that was encouraging to me. Mm In Acts, the first chapter, Jesus told the apostles that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit was upon them. And then he told them they would be witnesses, both mm-hmm. in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the earth. You go forward in chapter 10, verse 9 and following. Peter falls into a trance and he sees the sheet mm-hmm. with all kinds of animals and creatures. He's told to kill and eat. I don't think we can begin to understand how far un- and uncomfortable and even terrifying that would make him. After seeing this three times, the voice comes to him saying, kill and eat what God has declared clean. He was to no longer consider unholy. That was the beginning of him being able to understand that the gospel was for all, no matter nationality, race, food, culture, you know, sometimes you will be around someone and and they will be talking about food and you'll say, you eat what? <laughs> That's just such a minor example of that. But I think it's kind of where we live and how we're comfortable or uncomfortable. I think for me at this stage in my life, I'm glad to live in a neighborhood that has people from all over the country, some different nationalities and different beliefs and some no beliefs and we've been able to reach out in hospitality and friendship to them so they're around us Hmm. and we can be with them two sundays ago we were in duluth georgia and visited went to church with paul and carol thompson who were missionaries to the dominican republic and they've moved to duluth now they have found um, a church that Paul particularly wanted it to be multicultural, multi-generational, and it's very informal. So we went, and they meet in the gym of a Baptist church, which graciously loaned this space to them. They are Hmm. declining in membership. And so there were all kinds of races and people and praise band, and so we were a bit shell-shocked. Gerald and I were, but we went in, and, of course, Paul and Carol were with us, And it was such a blessing to experience that. We have never been somewhere in a church that we were made to feel more welcome. Mm -hmm. And maybe they sensed that we were not quite totally comfortable with being there. Mm. We shared communion in an informal session. People went up and just brought it back to their chairs. We sat together, the four of us, and prayed and shared communion. And I realized from that in reflection how much more I need to be willing to be in situations where I am not comfortable, Mm -hmm. where it's not First Presbyterian worship style. Mm -hmm. And so that was a real learning experience for me. That is so good. I mean, the type of the of learning that comes from exposure to other cultures and um, not reevaluating them as though it's um, not as good as yours, but it's different. Mm-hmm. And for us to understand that uh, cultures, there are things that are um, specific to each culture that are not necessarily morally right or wrong, that are just different. 
Yeah. Um, and so having that type of awareness from being exposed is, is paramount. Another thing that you said that I, I think was paramount was just um, your referencing Peter's vision. You're right. I mean, that has significance that is just um, enormous. Um, and he mentions that vision again for us uh, at the Jerusalem Council, which is huge, right? And so we see all of the, we see the big players. We see, you know, the apostles. We see Peter is there. And we hear, we hear from James even with regard to the ruling that is being made of whether or not we can add anything to the gospel. Uh, and whether or not we can require that people assimilate, basically, that, which, which is making the statement that your culture is not as good as mine, and so your culture should bow and your cultural practices should bow to the cultural practices of the day, the, the, the normal, uh, what, what would be, quote unquote, the normalized culture. And so Peter says, no, um, I, I'm clear on this one. Uh, I, I saw it in, a, in the vision that I can't call unclean what the Lord has called clean, which means I can't give a different value to someone made in the image of God than the Lord himself has given to him. And so Peter says that. Uh, and as a, an um, apostle of the church, but then James, who was a bishop, um, thought to be a bishop in the early church. James says, yes. And beyond that, we can't heap uh, burdensome practices onto people. We can't add to that. Uh, we are to limit our own freedoms in kindness to other cultures and people of other ethnic uh, persuasions. And so um, that ruling wasn't just Jerusalem Council. That is a paradigm for us to follow uh, as a people living in this time and in this space, because that is the spirit's work that was alive in the church of Acts and that is alive and well in the church um, that we get to enjoy. Big C church and and, mm -hmm. and little C church. That's right. Um, yep. So just so many amazing, it's hard to just capture all of these huge, important um, lessons that we learn in Acts. But I'll ask one more. What, what did you learn in Acts about something that you did not fully realize before that has become a source of maybe encouragement to you? Can you, can you <laughs> pinpoint one thing in that amazing book? That's such a hard question, I know, but I'm asking it anyway. Well, it was not new. I think overall it kept coming to me. It was reaffirming the yes. church, the church that Jesus is alive. His mm -hmm. life and work go on through mm -hmm. us, the church, our church today. And that's very encouraging. Right now in society, and I know Mother said I was born right at the very end of World War II. She said people that were pregnant then said, oh, this is just such a difficult time. This is a mm -hmm. terrible time. And it seems like we're never too far away from terrible times, but uh, it could be frightening. But when he, Luke wrote this, 62 and 85 A.D., Peter and Paul had already been martyred hmm. by the Romans. So that was about as scary uh, a point in time. So Christians were being accused of things uh, that, that were against the state that were not. And we're inheritors of that first church. And because of that, we have that model set forth. The Holy Spirit is mentioned four times in the first chapter, verses 2, 5, 8, 16. And Luke stressed that Jesus' kingdom was coming in the life of the church and in the preaching of the gospel. 
when Jesus told Peter in Matthew sixteen eighteen that he would build his church upon him and the gates of hell would not prevail. That was a promise. And let us live in that promise instead of being afraid. That's so good. There's always something to be fearful of. Oh, always. Yeah. I mean, and, and each with each culture and with each age comes a new, you know, I call it a boogeyman of the culture. Mm. Um, there's always something to be afraid of. But man. Don't focus the, on that is what we're saying. The power of God is so much greater than what what we are fearful of. Well, even the loss of leaders. You know, when you were saying that, that they were both martyred and you think that Jesus told Peter that on, you know, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. And if you thought at that time that the church stood on the work or word of just Peter, Peter or Paul his or personhood. James or you know any of those that they lost, you would be so discouraged. And so that's always encouraging to me. Like the Lord definitely, he loved and cared for, protected uh, all of his people, uh, including those men. And they were not lost or forgotten. Something bad didn't happen. The Lord wasn't paying attention to, but he did not. He advances his church with or without us, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And he is constantly, constantly doing that. And that's an encouragement. And one me. leader falls and another steps forward. Yeah. Or even what, people in the church. You know, we do absolutely. what the Lord has for us, but it's just, it's always encouraging to me to remember he is holding his church. He is moving it forward um, with us and despite us. You know? Amen. Yes. Yes. That's so encouraging. And, it's so hard to pick one thing. I know to stand out Impossible in Acts. Question. Yes, yes. I, just just studying the Book of Acts again. I, I believe I studied it in college, um, and it was so special to me then. So it's been really fun to restudy it as a forty-two year old. Then when I was like twenty, twenty-one, my life verse is in Acts. Acts twenty twenty-four. But here's what, what I picked for today to, to um, say this was the encouragement to me. Acts 4.13 says this, When they saw the courage of Peter and John, so they, Peter and John have been arrested in Acts 4, and they are testifying. And this is what it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary, ordinary men, men. Mm. they were astonished. And took note that these men had been with Jesus. Mm-hmm. The ESV says they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I just, for some reason, that really captured me. I love God's word. It's so inexhaustible. You can read the same thing and get something so new and fresh. And this time, that really just stuck out to me. Does anyone recognize that I've been with Jesus? Mm-hmm. George Robertson in our uh, commentary on page 44 in our study, he said this, are you living generously with your words of encouragement, your time, expressions of love and material gifts, or are they hold? are you holding back expecting those t- things to come to you? And I just thought, man, that's, I want to live generously, live generously. I loved that. He said, With your words of encouragement, like that can be generous. Just Mm. being an encourager, uh, time, expressions of love, material gifts. I mean, it just, that stuck out to me. I want people to recognize that I've been with Jesus. Mm. It matters that I sit in my little chair 
every morning with my cup of coffee and my Bible. It matters. He's, he's doing things in me. And, and I pray that I don't get up from that chair the same old Leslie, but I've been renewed. I've renewed my mind. He's renewed my mind. He's done the work. He's using that to shape me and mold me. And I want, I want people to recognize that I've been with Jesus for his own glory. Not, of course, not my own, but um, I, that was so special to me. And that's just one of the many evidences of the spirit being at work that we see throughout the book of Acts. We see unschooled ordinary men being evidence that they've been with Jesus and that his spirit is alive and well working in his church. We see leaders called to preach the gospel in various places and denied Mm -hmm. uh, access to various places. We see the spirit poured out on his church every tongue nation uh, without distinction. Um, And so all of these ways that we see the spirit alive and active in the book of Acts is not for just us to just admire in the book of Acts, but wow, is the spirit alive uh, at us? Is it, is he evident in us and in all the ways um, that we worship and in our day-to-day lives? Um, particularly relevant to me as we close out our study on the book of Acts is Acts 17 and 26. Um, One of the ways that the Spirit shows his sovereignty um, over his church and his being active in his church is in where he ordains for us to live and in the periods of time that he ordains for us to live. Um, He says this in Acts 17, 26, and he made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And the Lord in his great kindness for almost the last five years has given me this place right here in Augusta, Georgia, as a place to dwell. He has set the boundaries of our habitation to be here in this sweet place among these sweet people for this time. And so as we're coming close to the end of our time here we're so grateful um, that the Lord has been sovereign Mm -hmm. over this time Mm -hmm. and space I might not like that verse as much as you do (laughs) (laughs) in its current application (laughs) Vanessa Um, but that is beautiful and it makes me tear up but can you talk just a little bit more detail about what that looks like as you're transitioning from here to a new space yeah we are transitioning from uh, our beloved sweet home here in Augusta, Georgia at First Presbyterian Church. And uh, the end of May, we close out our time here and we begin the transition to uh, Redeemer Lincoln Square in New York City, which is a huge big difference. Yeah. Huge change for us. Yet the Lord has set the, the bounds of our habitation mm-hmm. and we are pleased to follow him there. Um, I get the privilege to serve the sweet people of um, Redeemer Lincoln Square as their director of community life which means that I get to um, oversee their community groups. I also get to oversee their women's ministry, which I'm excited about. Um, And uh, I think a part of my job is also evangelism and um, uh, justice initiatives. So Mm -hmm. lots of things that um, the Lord has the opportunity to grow me up in and, and, and teach me how to do it and to allow me to do what I've done here is to watch him work in some pretty awesome ways and to know that he has been pleased to use my hands. And Mm. 
uh, I trust that he'll do something similar, although I'm sure very different, but I'm sure that it'll be by his power and that he'll be pleased to use my hands in something. So we have no doubt about that, my friend. We have no doubt about mm-hmm. that. We have been very grateful for your work here with us and I know personally I'm going to miss you being my co-host. Oh, my partner in crime. Partner in crime. Won't be the same without you. But um, I think particularly because you fanned in me that continual love for the word. And you've done it uh, not only for me, but for all of us FPC ladies. And it's not just a knowledge of the word that you fanned, fanned a flame for but it's to know him through the word. And there's really a distinction in that. And mm-hmm. you have shown us what that is. And we have been super grateful for that. Oh, thanks, So friend. sad to lose you, but we are excited for what the Lord has for you next. Thank and, you. Um, listeners, I do want to say that we are keeping on this summer. And I want you to keep your ears and eyes out for our summer Something to Talk About podcast because we are going to be discussing together a book that I'm super excited about. It's called Identity Theft. It's a compilation of several writings edited by Melissa Kruger and written by various women authors, Trillia Newbell, Hannah Anderson, Jen Wilkin, Jasmine Holmes, and more. Uh, They're speaking personally, they're speaking deeply about various aspects of our identity in Christ and how that identity makes all the difference in our everyday lives. I've read a few of those writings and found them very encouraging. I think we'll have a really great time talking about them together. Oh yeah, that's a great group of ladies. Martha and Leslie, thank you for being with us for our very special end of the season podcast. Listeners, if you want to see the faces of our guests today, check out our women's Bible Study Facebook page at Women's Bible Study FPCA or find us on Instagram at First Pres Augusta Women. Until then, take us with you on your summer vacation. We'd love for you to join in again this summer as we discuss identity theft. Hope you're listening. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord rises with healing in his wings when comforts are declining he grants the soul again a season of pure shining to cheer it after the rain 